Let's open our Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. We will be returning on Wednesday to finish up the book of Nahum, and uh, a good chance we'll be finishing up Habakkuk 2, because there really is only three chapters in Habakkuk. Let me draw your attention where Paul read for us earlier, chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The morning's message is, is entitled, The Just Shall Live by Faith. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am reproved. Then the Lord answered and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie, though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. The background here is the uncertainty of the prophet. Because he really can't figure out why the Lord is not dealing judgment-wise with the people of Israel. Habakkuk is ministering during the death throes of the nation of Judah. Although repeatedly called to repentance, the nation stubbornly refuses to change their sinful ways, and Habakkuk, knowing the hard-heartedness of their countrymen, is asking God how long this intolerable condition is going to continue. And God replies that the Babylonians will be his instrument, his rod, upon the nation. And this news, this announcement, sends Habakkuk to his knees when he hears that it's going to be the Babylonians, and here's why. When God revealed his uh, intentions to use Babylon as his rod of judgment, Habakkuk is even more troubled because the Babylonians are more corrupt than Judah. God's answer satisfies Habakkuk that he can trust him even in the worst of circumstances because of his matchless wisdom, goodness, power. God's plan is perfect and nothing is big enough to stand in the way of its ultimate fulfillment. Much of what we're studying this morning is uh, very relevant and practical as we look at our own nation. We go along and we wake up to something new every single morning. This week I woke up to 26 people getting shot in church. And um, last week it was some guy running down people in uh, New York, and tomorrow it's going to be something different. Jesus said it's going to be like birth pains when we get towards um, the end. It's interesting to me, just getting back from Israel, that it'll be exactly 70 years next year. Very interesting number in Scripture. Um, May 14, 1948. Uh, next year is 2018, so we're going to have our 70 Uh, years that when they're back in the land, by the way, that's the biggest miracle um, that's out there. The rebirth of the nation of Israel is one of the biggest miracles because it's never happened before. No nation has ever been dispersed um, back in 70 AD. Any culture, ethnic group, once conquered, were quickly assimilated by that society and nature, and they pretty much became like them. Israel is the exception. And almost after 2,000 years, 
They're back in the land, and they are prospering. Tourism was up 30% from last year, and driving in Jerusalem was a nightmare. But we had fun anyway. (laughs) So as we look at Habakkuk, chapters 1, we'll get into this in detail on Wednesday night. Um, Basically, is Lord, how long are you going to put up with this? And again, he doesn't have really the answer, except that he's going to trust in the Lord by faith. And that's where we have our text. The just will live by faith. God has his plan. He's working it out. But the thing is, he's not willing that any should perish. Remember Jonah and the Ninevites, how bad and cruel they were. They all repented. Well, 100 years goes by, and we have the book of Nahum, and now Nahum is pronouncing judgment with no chance of reconciliation with God. Now they had no excuse. And so as we get into Habakkuk, um, this was really the rallying cry of Martin Luther. Last month was the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And the, um, the theme song or the title of it was The Just Will Live by Faith. Good place for an amen. Then he took the 95 Theses and put it on the Wittenberg door. And that was, that was a, uh, the rally cry, basically. And he says, I'm, I'm done with indulgences. I'm done with the sacraments. I'm done with purgatory. I'm done with the mass. He didn't like indulgences because it helped build uh, St. Peter's Basilica. And they had a saying back in those times when they were having indulgences and, and praying and giving money and lighting candles for the dead. The, the saying went something like this. Every time a coin in the coffin rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Now, let's say you just lost a loved one. And that was the doctrine of the time. Would not you empty your bank account if that's truly what you believed? But when you got into the scriptures and and uh, Martin Luther did. There's some things I don't think he took far enough, such as infant baptism. Uh, he became very anti-Semitic in his later days. But as far as a major turning point in world history, we call it the Reformation, 500 years ago um, last month. So we have this morning, I would like to look at Habakkuk concerning the just shall live by faith, but I want to kind of divide it up into five different sections. One, number one, what is a definition of faith? Two, what examples of faith do we have in scriptures? Obviously, I have to be very selective there. Um, Number three, the necessity of faith. And number four, how does one receive faith? And finally, what I'd like to do is expose those these days who are twisting the scriptures on what we call the word of faith movement. And um, that's sort of our outline for this morning, if you're taking notes. And um, let's begin with number one. Uh, what is a good definition of what faith is? So please turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And we'll begin with what we call, what many call the, the hall of faith. Uh, men from Abel all the way through Moses and uh, the prophets, Joshua and Rahab, as examples that we are to look at, study their lives, and see what the Lord said about them. So we read in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Now faith 
It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So now we're hoping for something that we can't actually look at. We believe it simply because God says it. And by it, the elders obtain a good testimony. The elders here is a reference to the men that are mentioned in chapter 11 of Hebrews. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. He called it out of nothing. And, um, uh-oh, I'm going rabbit trails already. Look out. <laughs> We're riding on the bus, and, and uh, uh, Judy leaned over to our, our guide, who I was very happy to reconnect with. Uh, his name is Zev, and I love him dearly. And she said, well, these stones over here, the black ones, where did they come from again? And he said, well, millions and millions of years ago, this volcano erupted. And after he said millions and millions three or four times, I said, enough. <laughs> I said, Zev, we got to talk. So basically, I gave him the Reader's Digest version of our tour to the Grand Canyon with Russ Miller. And um, I, I said, Zev, I don't expect you to deal with this on a faith or a theological platform. Just science and common sense. And I invite you right now to come with us. Um, next May, I'll fly you out. Uh, he's very influential. He's a brilliant man, um, but he doesn't have a clue when it comes to the overwhelming scientific evidence of a worldwide flood. The evidence speaks for itself. Forget faith. Forget theology. Let's talk science. Now I had his attention. He says, really? And I said, yeah. So where was I? Now I've got to make my way back. <laughs> Evidence of things not seen, you know, talking about um, things made out of nothing. That makes no common sense because we know, um, second law of thermodynamics, that everything is in the process of deteriorating. Evolution teaches just the opposite. It's in the form of progression, and it's actually becoming um, more advanced as we go along. That's not what science shows us. It shows us that energy is declining, not increasing. And I got to play this um, video clip that Ray Comfort just put out. It is awesome. It's it got a whole movie, but I'm going to put a four-minute uh, picture of it up because he talks to people on the street about um, DNA, which is one of my favorite places to go to when people. Um, believe that we happened by chance over millions and millions and millions and billions and quadrillions of years that we just sort of came together. And he makes the people look pretty ridiculous by just spending four minutes with them on this. So we'll, I promise I'll play that um, sometime in the near future. So what is a definition of faith? Well, it's evidence of things not seen. God said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's either true or false. And um, so I believe that's a great definition. If you go back to Hebrews chapter 10 and pick it up in verse 35, we actually find here this quote from Habakkuk 2, verse 36. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while... 
And he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. It's called the glorious hope. We have hope. And I'll begin and end our study with it. There's three things you guys can, or nobody can take away from me. My faith, my hope, and my love. And they can take everything else, but what remains are those three things. Another good place for an amen. And faith, nobody can take that away from you. So as we look at what is the definition of faith, we have it given for us here. And then the whole chapter, and I had to be somewhat selective because I can't go through all of them, is uh, let's just look at, at um, Enoch in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 11. It says, by faith, and I'm tying this into what we just read about, the Lord is not going to tarry. He is going to come. Uh, for his church. So it says, By faith Enoch was translated, that means raptured, so that he did not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently Seek him. We, I've never seen the Lord. First Corinthians 13 says, now we look through a glass darkly. We have the scriptures, but the time is coming. It says then, face to face. As sure as you're looking at the people here this morning, or me, someday you're going to look eye to eye, face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have. And he says, be careful for those that come up with the saying, well, the Lord is delaying his coming. When a person says that, they've, um, we hold to what we call the imminent return of Jesus. That means it could happen at any time. I'm kind of hoping it'll be before the study is over. That's great. <laughs> and um, don't draw back. Here is just an encouragement when we see much of the church today falling away because they're getting away from the solid teaching of God's word. And as a result, they become discontented, they see the programs, they see things they can be involved in, but not in a meat, not a solid Bible study. That's something that's gonna put some spiritual meat on your bones. And as we look at these, we are given examples of people who because God said it, they believed it, and now, my Bible is telling me, use him as an example. Well, what's so unique about Enoch? Well, he just walked and talked with Jesus. Old song, walking and talking with Jesus soothes my soul. And it does. And there's that satisfaction that can only come when you know that still small voice and you have God's word tucked away in your heart and the Holy Spirit at the appropriate time can bring it back to remembrance and you're comforted. And that's something only the, the Spirit of God can do, but you've got to be armed with it. In other words, you have to know your ABCs before you can read a sentence. Are you guys following me with that? And before you can write a book, you, gotta, you have to have that all down. So the necessity of the ABCs here, according to 
Hebrews chapter 6, just flip back, it's not in my notes, but as long as we're this close, let's turn there. Verse 1, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles, that's the ABCs of Christ, let's go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. In other words, don't always talk about, this is how I got saved, and that's it. No, he wants you to grow to the point where you understand doctrine, the doctrine of baptism, the importance of laying out of hands or the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Gang, we as Christians need to have this down pat. These are, these are just the ABCs. And he's talking to these Hebrews and he's saying, let's leave the ABCs behind and let's grow in maturity and as far as um, being able to explain to a world that we live in what's really happening right now. So uh, let's look at some examples of faith. We just looked at Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. He never saw death. Elijah never saw death. And um, the, the riddle that I always like to throw out at this time for you guys to talk about over lunch is how is it that Methuselah was the uh, oldest man who ever lived, yet he died before his son? How is that possible? Boy, it's quiet in here. Nobody must know that answer. I know it, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Methuselah's son was Enoch. Enoch never died. That's why it's possible the oldest man in the world died before his son. Oh, there's a brain teaser. You can have a lot of fun with that one somewhere. All right. Let's go on to um, uh, three, the necessity of faith. And um, let's turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we'll pick it up in verse 10. The necessity of faith. Verse 4 of chapter 2, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. And that not of yourself, it's the gift of God. It can't add anything to that period. No works. The disciples came to Jesus and said, what, can, what work can we do to do the works of God? And Jesus just looked at him and said, believe on the one that the Father has sent. That's it? That's it. And then continue uh, to add nothing to that finished work. Gang, what that'll do is set you free. It'll set you free from what do I have to do to please God? Well, believe on his son. Yeah, but I gotta do something. Well, yeah, there's one thing he asked you to do. Be thankful. Um, love him. Then love your neighbor as you love yourself. But isn't there anything like join the mission field or whatever? No, no. If God tells you to do that, fine. Uh, but it has nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation is a free gift by grace, and you receive it by believing it, and that requires faith. 
So we read here, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not about yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works. This is what ticked off Martin Luther. He read this book in the book of Romans, and he said, no, no, no. You're saying salvation is I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this. And he says, no. And um, the just will live by faith. Not of works, lest anyone would boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, James, people get confused. Some people would like to take the book of James and take it out of the Bible. Because what it says in James, that without, I have uh, faith and I'll show it by my works. And people misunderstand because it talks about Abraham proved he had faith because of his works. But we do works because we're saved. The works don't save us. Everybody on track with that one? And we're saved to do good works. That just naturally happens. All of a sudden you have a heart for somebody besides yourself. Okay? And we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. What does that tell us? We love ourselves a whole lot. That's what it tells us. You know the picture we just put up there? Guess who I was looking for? <laughs> was my hair combed? Was my eyes closed? You know, you look, and that's just the way we're wired. And yet, my Bible says that I must to esteem you higher than myself. And that's the real fruit of being born again. All of a sudden, you're actually concerned for other people besides yourself. That's not you. That's not me. That's not my nature. It's my old nature. But the Lord, um, the Lord's nature is just that. Okay, so let's go for um, some examples here. Um, the second part of this, go to First Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, the necessity of faith part. The other thing that, um, why the, God has given us faith, we read in 1 Peter 1, picking up in verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, how? Through faith. For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I'm going to expose some false teachers who don't believe you should be going through trials. And if you are going through trials, you're not healthy and wealthy, then there's something wrong with your faith. And I'm going to name them. I'm going to call them out. We are grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, you have faith. God knows just how strong you are in your faith. You don't. Therefore, we have the necessity of being put in situations where we have to trust God and that he's going to see us through it 
And we do that because of faith. And then we find out just how much faith we really have. Because in the middle of the trial, we might start griping and complaining and moaning like the children of Israel did. Oh, you brought us out in this wilderness to die. No, we didn't. He brought you out in the wilderness to take you to the promised land. That's his promise, to bring you into the promised land. God promised. He's going to keep his promise? Well, some of them didn't think so. They were being tested. And they were known for grumbling and complaining. We shouldn't grumble. We shouldn't complain. I do every time somebody cuts me off on the highway. And I let them know about it. That's why I don't have a Christian bumper sticker in the back of my car. You know? All right, let's not go there. (laughs) You know, we wake, nobody here wakes up in the spirit. Amen? Amen. You wake up in the flesh. That's why Paul says, I die daily. And it's a choice you have every single day. You can choose to get up and seek the Lord, or you can choose to get up and not. And depending upon uh, that will depending upon meeting the Lord early and walking in the spirit during during that day. So faith has to be tested. Probably the greatest example I can think of is Abraham in Genesis um, 22. Let's go there, and I'll, I'll bring in a little bit of Israel at this point. I'll tell the group something they didn't know at the time in Israel. I was talking with Zev about our schedule. He's been my guide for so many years that we always have the garden tomb on Wednesday. Because anything after the garden tomb is sort of anticlimactic. <laughs> but on our schedule, it was on Friday. And it's booked. It's packed. It's overwhelming. And, and we realized we made a mistake and we weren't going to be able to see the garden tomb. Now, that's unthinkable going to Israel, Golgotha, and the garden tomb. So Zev and I said, let's just go over and talk to them. And maybe they'll just let us walk through. We won't do communion when we won't have a Bible study. Just let us walk through. Now, most of you guys that are tripped don't even know this part of the story. But we went in, and uh, Zev wanted to see the manager. He explained the situation. And the guys, him and Han, looking at the schedule, and, and he says, well, is your tour uh, leader here? And he says, yeah, he's outside. He says, go, go bring him in. And uh, he looks at me, and he said, uh, can you do this right now? And I said, yes, I can. (laughs) Um, Toda means thank you. Toda Raba means thank you very much. I said to this guy, Toda Raba, 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 (laughs) Raba. Zev said he was going to go for it. He said, not only am I going to ask for a walkthrough, I want a place for our group, I want communion so that we can have the whole nine yards. And we shouldn't have gone in. They were booked. And the Lord touched this guy's heart, and he let us in, and we just took our time. And um, um, now you know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. <laughs> oh, so, so here we are, but I think the greatest example of a faith being tested is here. And I tell the story about the garden tomb, because in Genesis 22, we have Abraham. We read in verse 1, verse 2 says, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Now, gang, if that doesn't smack of John 3.16, I don't know what does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's what he's asking Abraham to do. The continuing, and I won't get into all of this, but there was no hesitation on Abraham's part. 
the word that's connecting is Anne. Anne, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering that I will tell you. And he just does it. He arose early, took two of his young men and his son and the wood and the offering and, and, and. It was a three-day journey. The reason it was a three-day journey because in the mind of Abraham, his son was already dead. We read later in the New Testament that Abraham, by faith, understood that if necessary, there would be the resurrection. So he was being obedient. His faith was being tested. This was the promised child. And God promised him that through Isaac would his descendants be. It's God's problem. If God wants me to kill him, he's got to bring him back to life because God promised, and now my faith is tested. Abraham, look at the stars. Count them if you can because that's how many of your descendants are going to be. And that your seed will be called through Isaac, not Ishmael. And so, ball's in God's court. And so, you know the story. Right before the knife comes down, an angel says, stop. And when he laid him on the offer, and he says, don't lay your hand on a child, verse 12, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That he knew that, that he, uh, his faith in God's word was true. When we were there, looking at traditionally, um, our friend Rabbi Richmond is adamant that Abraham offered Isaac on what is called the Dome of the Rock. He won't bend. I don't think that's the case. The Dome of the Rock is at 742 meters above sea level. When we went to Golgotha, that's all part of Mount Moriah, but the Temple Mount's here, and you continue to go up the hill to 777, interesting number, meters, and you stop at a place that we call Golgotha. And when we went there, it says they took him to the place when he offered up the Lord Jesus at a place called Golgotha or Calvary, and that's why we're called Calvary Chapel. That's where we get it from. But what Abraham understood after this in verse 14, he prophesies and says, and Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. What will be provided? Another father will give his son. Only this time he's going through with it. And all Abraham is doing here is giving us an Old Testament picture of the New Testament teaching of the gospel. We have it in picture form. Isaac carrying the wood, Jesus carrying the cross. And um, the three days... Dead in Abraham's mind. Jesus was dead for three days. And I got it better get on track here. I did want to use that as one of the examples. So we find, um, let's go to uh, Psalm, uh, Psalm 73 at this point. As uh, Habakkuk is wondering what the Lord is doing with the Babylonians and he doesn't understand it, he's confused. So, as we read in in First um, Peter chapter three, that your faith is going to be tested like fire, even when you don't understand what's going on. In Psalm seventy three, we read, "Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart." 
But he says, but as for me, my feet almost stumbled. My steps were nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he doesn't get it. And he doesn't understand why these things are, are happening. And, and then he goes on a little bit later in the psalm, uh, and in other places it says, until he went into the house of the Lord, and then he saw the end of it all. And the ones that um, will have to give an account. James 1, verse 3 says, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces Patience. All right, so faith is the issue. Number four, how does one receive faith? Let's turn to Romans chapter 10. Not everybody has faith. Romans chapter 10, picking it up in verse 10, we read, For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, then I'll confess you before my Father. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between a Jew and a Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So much for Calvinism in that one verse. Whosoever, anybody. Not just a certain elect. How then shall they call on him who they have not believed, and how shall they believe on him who have not heard, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they uh, preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings and good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, how do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing. And hearing comes by the word of God. How does one have faith? By doing what you guys are doing this morning. And we're to add to our faith, it says virtue. And it's a growing process. Now, when you receive the Lord, you're taking a step of faith. But it all comes from that one person. Here, it, it refers to uh, um, maybe a preacher, but it can be anyone. You're the light of the world. You have your own sphere of influence, and people are watching you and, um, and how you handle things, especially when you're going through a hard time. How are they going to handle this one? Let's see how much his faith is now when it's really tested and other people are watching and you can go around and say I don't have a clue what's going on that's what the book of Habakkuk is all about Lord I don't get it why aren't you judging this nation like Billy Graham said if if God doesn't judge this nation he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology why because he's long suffering not willing that any should perish that was Habakkuk's hang up and to make matters worse, the instrument that he was going to use was Babylon. <laughs> and they're worse than Judah. So this guy is confused. But with his confusion, as we're going to see in chapter 3, it's, it's not going to bother him at all. Because God has spoken to him. And as a result, he's going to believe God's word on how he's going to handle this particular situation. 
How does one receive faith? By hearing. Hearing what? By hearing the word of God. Not some self-help booklet, not some 12-step program. That does not produce faith. Faith is a 12-step program. Step one, faith comes by hearing. Repeat that 11 times and you have your 12-step program. It's not difficult at all. But we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. Gang, that sets you free. When Jesus said, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free, you will never be brought to shame. Yeah, but I remember that bad one back in 1974. Boy, oh boy, I don't think the Lord ever... No, he doesn't remember. You know the greatest thing about being God? He says, I will take your sins and remember them no more. My problem is I believe I'm forgiven, but I can still remember the sin. And the devil takes advantage of that. You call yourself a Christian. And you did that, and you said that to that person. And um, if you don't have the word of God in Romans 8, 1, tucked right here in your gun belt or in your sword, which says there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That's right after Romans 7 where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. How can I possibly escape from this situation? He says, I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ because he did it all. Then in verse 1 of chapter 8, we have the therefore. Therefore, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you're under condemnation in any way, shape, or form this morning, listen up. 1 John 1, 9. Confess it. Confess your sin. And then he says he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The Psalms and the Proverbs hint that on your best day, you blow it seven times. On your best day. (laughs) So we should be walking in the fear of the Lord and continue, Lord, I blew it there. I got in the flesh. I said something I shouldn't have. I'm sorry, Lord. Okay, end of issue. The Lord says it's forgiven. You think he's surprised? (laughs) He knows what you're going to say before you even say it. So there are those out there that uh, will take this verse, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I want to expose by name this morning those who twist the scriptures on what's called the word of faith movement. Yesterday in men's prayer, I touched on this because in 2 Timothy, we read all of 2 Timothy. Four times, Paul calls people by name, exposing them. And so for people who say, well, you shouldn't name names from the pulpit. Well, you need to deal with Paul from 2 Timothy chapter 4 because he names it in that chapter four different groups of people um, that he calls out by name. And that's a study, if you're taking notes this morning, go and ch- you, can, you can check that out. So these are what we call the word faith movement. And uh, I'm just going to give you the Reader Digest version just so that you're aware of it. I'll probably hurt somebody's feelings this morning because they might like one or two of these people I'm going to mention. Ernest Angeli, Morris Cirillo, Kenneth Copeland, Paul Crouch, uh, Seafood Dollar, Kenneth Hagen. Marilyn Hickey, Benny Hinn, 
uh, Brian Houston from Hillsong, Rodney Howard Brown, T-Day Jakes, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, Joel Olstein, Peter Popov, Fred Price, Joseph Prince, Oral Roberts, Robert Schuler, Robert Tilton, Paula White, Ed Young. The Word of Faith movement grew out of the Pentecostal movement in the late 20th century. It was founded by E.W. Kenyon, who studied the metaphysical New Thought teaching, mind science, <clears throat> where name it and claim it originate. Now, this is Christianese. When I say name it and claim it, if you're a new Christian, you just didn't get what I just said. Name it and claim it means that if you're, there's power in your words, and if you name something because of the authority of the power, you name it and you claim it. I like to call it grab it and blab it. You know, I got my own version of it. But for some of you new Christians, this is Christianese talk here. So the name it and claim it was combined with Pentecostalism, resulting in a particular mix of Orthodox Christianity and mysticism. Kenneth Hagin, in turn, studied under E.W. Kenyon and made the Word of Faith movement what it is today. At the heart of the Word of Faith movement is the belief in the force of faith. It is believed words can be used to manipulate the faith force and thus actually create what they believe Scripture promises, health and wealth. Laws supposedly governing the faith, uh, faith force are said to operate independently of God's sovereign will and that God himself is subject to these laws. Uh, there is nothing, this is nothing short of idolatry, turning our faith and by extension ourselves into God. Kenneth Hagin states, it is not God's will for any to be sick. I believe that it is the plan of our Father that no believer should be sick and every believer should live his life full to uh, full time and actually wear out in Jesus uh, if Jesus tarries and fall asleep in Jesus. I state boldly that it is not the will of God, my Father, that we should suffer with cancer, other deadly diseases, reap pain and anguish. No, it's God's will that we should be healed. And then he quotes for evidence by his stripes, we are healed. Well, imagine being in this church and you have been prayed over and you're not healed. And then they tell you, well, the problem is you don't have enough faith. Boy, if that isn't bringing condemnation and a trip down on people and have caused people to go, what use? I, I don't have it in me. Here's, here's a little sarcasm. What's interesting is that the people who are called word of faith teachers do not seem to have any of a lesser ratio of cancer and sickness than others. These ministers know one another. They teach the same doctrine and share the same stories. And sickness is common among them and their families. It is unusual for a specific group that teaches the same doctrine of healing to have a higher percentage of their families to be sick with cancer. Is God telling them something? Are they or their followers taking notice? No, that would be a negative confession. Let me give you an example of a negative confession. We were at En Gedi, and David is running from Saul. And one of the places he, he makes a negative confession, he says, I know this day Saul is going to kill me. That's a negative confession. Did Saul kill him that day? Nope. 
Nope, the Lord took care of Saul in his own time. But just to back up, that there are, that um, you don't have that authority. We, we should pray, Lord, we're going to do this, this, that, and the other thing. If it's your will. We always say, if it's your will. I want, I'm going to Israel next year. Lord willing. <laughs> all right. Furthermore, almost all the face teachers wear glasses. <laughs> Just testing. It's right there on their face as they tell you that you can be healed and called out all diseases people are being healed of. God made it so you can't miss their contradictions, but many do. Uh, just just uh, to emphasize the point, just take out your bulletin this morning that you have. What does it say on the, on the front cover? You know, that pretty much sums up what we're saying here. Paul's prayer to be healed, uh, his thorn in the flesh. I mean, if anybody could heal, Paul walked by somebody or Peter, and even if the shadow would pass by, the guy would get healed. And yet he prayed for um, uh, people. He wrote to Timothy. Don't you think he prayed for Timothy? Timothy didn't get healed. He said, Timothy, drink, drink a little wine, mix it in with the water to kill any bug that might be there. Why not just heal him? Do you think Paul didn't pray? Of course he prayed. So God is sovereign and he has his reasons. We don't always understand the ways of God, just as Habakkuk had questions. Why don't you bring the judgment? Why are you allowing people to go into churches and kill people? Why is this going on? Why is it getting worse instead of better? And worse yet, why would you use Babylon? They're worse than we are. He didn't have the answers to the questions. Turn with me to Ecclesiastes. The Bible says that Solomon was the wisest man who ever walked this planet. And I believe the scriptures to be inerrant. So except for the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that um, Solomon was the wisest man who ever walked. And in chapter 8 of Ecclesiastes... Verses 16 and 17 says, When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, even though one sees no sleep day or night, then I saw all the works of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. For though a man labors to discover it, yet he will not find it. Moreover, though a wise man attempts to know it, he will not be able to find it. This is the book of Habakkuk. He doesn't understand why, but he says in here, I'm going to accept that God has it figured out in his own way. And as a result of this freedom that he now has, that God knows what he's doing and will accomplish his purposes, Let's go back and finish this morning with Habakkuk chapter 3. I'll do it verse by verse on Wednesday night. And we read here, I was studying this this week, and I found out in the Torah there is no chapter 3 in Habakkuk. I thought, that's interesting. And, um, but it is uh, in the original writing, even though it's not in the Torah, because it's such a switch because one and two make perfect sense, but now 
uh, picking it up in verse 16, we read, When I heard my body trembled, what God was going to do, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in a day of trouble. When it comes to the people, he will invade them with his troops. And then he comes up with this. He says, and um, the worship team sang this as a song this morning. By the way, this is a song to be put to music. At the very end, it says, to the chief musician with a stringed instrument. Verse 17, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the field yields no food, and though the flocks be cut from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me walk on high places. You can not understand it all because we walk by faith and not by feelings. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I become a sounding blast, uh, brass or a clinging single. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Now we see through a mirror dimly. What does that mean? like Habakkuk, we don't get it all. What are you doing, God? I don't know. But he promised to work all things out together for good. So what should that lead me to do? What we just read here. So I'll rejoice in the Lord. I don't have a clue what God's doing, but he promised to work it out to my good. And he says, but then face to face, I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Someday that means God knows everything. We're going to look back and go, oh, didn't see that one. Didn't see that's why you did that. Or how come this thing happened here so that this would happen over here. God, how wise you are in working out our plan. And then this verse we'll close with. It says, and now abides faith. That's our study this morning. The just will live by it. Hope and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning as we look into the book of Habakkuk. And Lord, as we've studied your word, you promised that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes from having Bible studies. So Lord, as the church is getting farther and farther away into programs and, and um, things that are not revolving around your word as a center, we pray, Lord, that our faith would be increased this morning simply as studying the book of Habakkuk. And um, thank you for the stability, Lord, and soundness, so that like Habakkuk, we can say when all is said and done, when we don't understand what's going on, I'm still going to rejoice, and I'm still going to praise you, and I'm going to be as free as a deer jumping around up in high places. In Jesus' name, amen.